0: Hi, everybody. And a big welcome to James, who is joining us from Levelfield Financial, has been referred to us by Lisa Huff, who was on here a few weeks ago. I'm not entirely sure how willingly I think she nudged you in this direction. (laughs) Welcome aboard, James. How are you feeling about being here right now?
1: Thank you, Carrie. Uh, Thank you for having me. It feels good. Yeah, you are my, my first podcast. So it feels good to, um, have a conversation about Bitcoin, but yes, uh, Lisa says jump, and I say how high. So
0: <laughs> I go. I say all right. I like that arrangement. I like that arrangement. Uh, well, look, I understand why she nudged you in my direction. I also hope it's the first of many because the article you've written, in particular, that you've got pinned in Twitter, which of course I will link to in the show notes is quite in depth and really quite fascinating and takes us down a rabbit hole of its own so we're going to jump right in and i'm not starting with the beginning of the article i'm starting with a bit that jumped out to me and i read out to my husband last night as i was reading it so we're starting in the middle with quite quite a dark piece if i may say so um Hmm. and so it starts like this (laughs) so she having missed Here we go. If you looked at, if looked at through its most sinister lens, I might have to read this twice so people catch it before um, I ask you to expand on it. If looked at through its most sinister lens, controlled issuance of money supply in traditional finance is how central authorities keep their population on the road to serfdom. People work exponentially more onerous for a currency growing exponentially weaker, thereby being robbed of their time, expressed through destroyed purchasing power. So I'm just going to go through that again. Um, Through the most sinister lens, controlled issuance of money. So that's what central banks are doing in traditional finance is how central authorities keep their population on the road to serfdom. And then fundamentally you're defining that. You're saying people work exponentially more onerous, so we're having to work harder and harder for a currency that's growing exponentially weaker. So we're having to work more because the currency is being debased. And in effect, that's the equivalent of being robbed of our time as expressed through that destruction of purchasing power that they are deliberately generating that's a big statement tell me about your understanding of that and how you even came to that
1: you went right for the uh right for the punch right off the bat i mean that that was impressive Um, (laughs) you know when you hear the word sinister people uh they, they they poke their heads up um it's 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 inflation, you know it's money printing. it is um, time theft through the debasement of currency uh, a significantly uh, uh, vastly uh, excuse me a, a very large volume of currency chasing um, goods or services that don't expand at the same rate and that is something that has been going on for a very long time. It is a nature of central banking itself. That is the core essence of what fractional reserve banking is. So uh, it's not something that's very difficult to to pull out and and, and get a hold of.
2: Um, it is something that Bitcoin solves, you know, immediately. Um,
1: It's you know, to bring this back to to Bitcoin, um, it's something that it solves immediately. Uh, people don't understand that on January 3rd, 2009, those issues, regardless of what we feel in the present in terms of how much we have to adopt Bitcoin, it Mm -hmm. it solved it immediately. Like that first block, like it's over. Um, it's just people are not ready to adjust themselves to that reality, just as they aren't ready to accept. That level of a of a statement that you just read to me, that that defined nature of of what debasing a currency really is, and what it means to someone who is uh, distant from the money printer itself, or in this case, the central bank. Um, if you'd like me to, I can give you a few examples uh, throughout history that are pretty obvious as to that. yeah let's do that
0: actually because i think a historical context really adds clarity and weight to the argument because i don't think people understand the degree to which i'm reading actually a book at the moment called the private life of real estate and banking written by philip anderson and uh that starts with um it goes right back to the 18th century and eve but i mean of course examples go way back beyond that uh, roman empire and prior but i don't think people understand the way it's been done through history and just how extreme it is right now compared to those historical examples so please i think that would be enormously beneficial
2: sure so I'm going to start solely with the United States, and then I'll give you a
1: little bit of a backstory as to you know where some of the other issues from that came from. Um, one of the most uh, one of the most important things to understand is that the Currency Act of 1764 was issued by England um, while the colonies were still trying to gather themselves, you know, in terms of their economies. And they had their own money called colonial script. And it wasn't inflated at the volume at which we see now. So the economy was able to run relatively smoothly on a fiat paper standard. And I don't want to say fiat because fiat is by decree, but just a, there was nothing underlying, there was nothing backing it. It was just a paper currency. Mm -hmm. And that act was England saying, by the way, you can only pay us our taxes and what, what you're owed to us in gold and silver. And because there was a significant shortage of metals, you have now see massive deflationary depression kick in, which was really the onset of the American Revolution. So the American Revolution moves forward to destroy that monetary unit in the colonial script, blows it out because I have to print to fund the war. After the revolution, you see um, the first bank, which was actually the Bank of North America, lasted eight years, 1783 to 1791, and then it was reinstated again um, on a 20-year charter this time, which was uh, the first bank of the United States from 1791 to 1811. And now by this time, the colonists have had enough. I shouldn't say the colonists, but the, free, you know, the, the, the United States now has had enough. And um, what makes it interesting is after the, the uh, ending of the charter of the first bank of the United States, you have the War of 1811. So that's right on the heels of the ending of a 20-year bank charter. So, ask yourself, why did all of a sudden this huge war break out from England, coming mm-hmm. to then reestablish its dominance over the United States? So that war ends in a stalemate, uh, partly due to what was going on in, in France at the time, the Napoleonic Wars going on with Napoleon, which may give you a clue why he sold the Louisiana Purchase in 1803. So. Um, give you a little bit more context after that, we're staying stateside in the United States. Um, you have now uh, the first bank of the United States goes on, runs its course to 1811, you get this war. And obviously that war puts on a whole lot more uh, war debt, which then reinstates another bank charter, which is now the second bank of the United States. And that runs for another 20 year charter. And one of the most, uh, I would like to say, badass. if this is a, 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 uh, uh, an adult show. Um, uh, presidents of our history, Andrew Jackson comes along and he runs on a platform of no banking, no central banking. Like he is extremely uh, intense about not having a userist type banking system. Yep. And yep. he routes out the bank. He, he destroys the debt. Mm-hmm. And at that point, the sinister nature of the bank really shows that not only is the central bank the problem, but he didn't even uh, which maybe it wasn't his fault, maybe he didn't know the depth of the real core of the issue here, but because fractional reserve lending was still being done on a state bank level in the Northern you know, areas, you were still seeing a, a little bit of a control over the economies, uh, over the economy. And therefore you saw a, I mean, a tremendous amount of growth in the forties and fifties um, without a central bank, but you did see a little bit of turmoil, which of course led to a lot of tension which brings you to what happens next—the Civil War, right? So the, the pressures that led up to the Civil War were also um, uh, exacerbated by monetary policy. I mean, Lincoln—and again, I'm saying this very clearly—slavery um, uh, was an issue, but the main issue was the economic issue. Um, Lincoln wanted to preserve the Union. Uh, he was dealt with, uh, you know, massive multi—you know, ten plus percent interest rates on. On borrowing to fund his Union Army, and instead of funding, you know, with bank loans, he created the greenback, a credit-based monetary system uh, to fight the war. And then we push forward through the Civil War, and we get to um, the end of that war, which preserved the Union, but it cost put a big toll on the on the nation. And in order to kind of throttle the nation back into central banking, you saw a big push of multi-decade contraction of of legislation. The first one was the Contraction Act of 1866, which started to pull all of those greenbacks out of circulation because it was a credit-based monetary system. And then you saw the destruction of bimetallism in um, the Currency Act of 1873. That's where you get, um, what is it, The Wizard of Oz? Is that the one with the the, the yellow brick road and the ruby slippers? Uh, Is is that it? Yeah. yeah. Um, That's all, you know, the slippers weren't ruby, they were silver because of the bimetallism. I mean, the silver was the people's money. So uh, 1873 goes along, they get rid of the bimetallism, and then you get to 1900, which is the gold standard act. And then post gold standard, you see huge rows in the economy of booms and bust cycles of panics, bank panics of 1908, 1911, I think 1907.
2: Um, and then obviously you have the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. So it is just this systemic um, movement of blowing out war debts, controlling people via central banking,
1: and doing it in multiple eras. You know, the, the Federal Reserve is not the first implementation of central banking. So it is a uh, in, it's insidious. Yeah.
0: It really is, and that's really coming home to be at the moment in this book that I'm reading that quotes a lot of Rothbart, that quotes a lot of the kind of texts from the time. Um, you are a fountain of information I had. That's the first time I've heard all of those dates spat out like that. It makes me think about what we're going through at the moment in terms of everybody thinks there's all these reasons for why we are experiencing the upheavals and the wars and the conflict and the uh, the Twitter wars, the culture wars, the, the war on COVID, the war on this, the war on drugs, the whatever, and we think there's all these issues going on and all these reasons going on for it, just as people must have done in the 18th century without realising that the uh, or the well, 17th, 18th, 19th century without realising that the underlying issues, well some did because as you said Jackson and his followers were known as the hard money men, they wanted to see money backed by gold, uh, they understood about fractional, fractional reserve banking, they wanted every piece of fiat to be or every piece of every certificate to be backed by gold but the vast majority don't see this as you said, insidious underlying control of the money, debasement of the money um, uh, and transfer of power from the people with their silver uh, silver standard and their peer-to-peer transactions being manipulated, simply to transfer wealth out of their hands into those running the banks and the government in collaboration um and so uh first of all i want to go down the track before we go down to bitcoin and this you're absolutely right 3rd of january 2009 it's changed and it changed forever and there is nothing anyone can ever do about it nobody's not nobody but clearly the vast majority aren't aware of how significant a shift that was and that that date is but before we quite go there, can I ask you just to see your take on the modern day equivalent of what we are seeing in effect at the world global surface level that's caused by the underlying, well, the the the, the printing of money and the, the broadening of M2 and the destabilization of currency. What do you see as the issues that a result of that causal trigger.
2: I see the international bodies as
1: the same thing you see on nation states, just coordinated together. Uh, it's just a concert of the same thing. Uh, it's actually maybe more destabilizing now because National central banks are somewhat acting different in terms of "quote unquote" not in concert together. Like you see, uh, Japan, the, ba- uh, the Bank of Japan, are, uh, they kind of let their their 10-year rate get to about 50 basis points, but they're still printing. While obviously we saw a huge contraction in uh, in the money supply, which you would see in rising interest rates in the United States through this last year. So uh, the level of how in tune they are in terms of their concert performance is getting a little bit out of whack. But at the end of the day, in my eyes, all central banks on a national level are subservient to the World Bank and the IMF, and of course, the Bank of International Settlements. So that is where the majority of the gold is held. Um, Gold is a a horrid, horrid underlying commodity-backed currency, and I use the word commodity currency for a reason, because it's not money, but um, the same way that you heard, if you've ever read Layered Money by Nick Batia, the same way when he talks about um, at the, uh, the, the Bank of Amsterdam and the beginning of the Amsterdam Stock Exchange with the, 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 uh, the Dutch East India Company. And how you know they just said okay if you've you've got some money from these merchants it goes right to us it goes right back into the bank you have to give it back very quickly and there is no longer any uh, access to what he called first layer money right which is what you would think of as precious metal Um, it's because you're never going to get it back again you will always have a derivative of that you'll never have hard money and by with the ability to to control a commodity backed currency that has a limited supply like that, allows you to put an immense amount of pressure via rowing interest rates on a, on, on, a, on a national economy. I mean, it's like what we just talked about with the Currency Act of 1764 before the American Revolution. When you, when you mandate the payment of taxes in gold and silver and the new, in the new colonies where you didn't have any of that, immediately deflationary depression, immediate
2: pain. So uh, the gold standard is, is a horrid monetary unit. Horrid. Good. Bitcoin is not gold.
0: Okay. Explain that because um, we talk about it as digital gold. People talk about um, a gold standard, like it's a positive thing. This is great because it's it's the first time I've been introduced to this, and I absolutely will read this book that you're and will add it in the show notes. Uh, explain to me how that couldn't happen with Bitcoin, given there's limited supply, if we're being paid in Bitcoin and we're paying our taxes in Bitcoin, how don't we end up with the same issue all over again?
1: Because um, scarcity isn't what you desire. What you desire is the inability to counterfeit.
0: Right. So okay, expand on that, please. So I, when you say that, what I'm thinking about the counterfeiting is I'm going back to Rome, and I'm talk, I'm thinking of gold covered lead, and I'm thinking of you know the the shavings around the edges. I'll, and, I'll
1: give I'll give you another yeah. example that'll make it clear. Around the 14th century, I want to say maybe a little bit in a range of of multiple hundreds, you know, centuries uh, within uh, England, you had King Henry the Ninth and he brought about the tally stick system in england and that was a a monetary system based off of birchwood or boxwood and what they would do is they would carve notches in it and they would put one half in the treasury with the king and he would put a little stump on the end of it so that was his half and he would put the other half into the economy and he would make sure that the taxes were 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 demanded to be paid in these things called tally sticks so there was a built-in demand right there was an acceptability of this instrument but it wasn't scarce, right? Like gold. It was, it's, it's wood. You could find it almost anywhere, but what made it different was that just like wood, you open up, you carve open a piece of wood and all of it has different lines in it, different, different designs because of its, its rings. Mm -hmm. And that made it quote unquote, not counterfeitable for that, for that time. And because of that, it pushed England through one of the greatest, um, explosions of economic activity that it had in its history. That's when the York Minster was built. That's when 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 laborers, their, their their purchasing power kept up and they had to work less and they had more leisure hours, but they used those leisure hours to to build culture and build these grand cathedrals. They got their time back. It's
0: not about scarcity, it's about counterfeiting. This is astonishing. This is a completely different take on it because we put so much emphasis in the Bitcoin community on the scarcity factor Um, Absolutely blows my mind. Are there any other examples like that in, in the whole of human history?
2: Uh,
1: I mean, that's the one that yeah. that stands out the most in terms of a commodity, like a commodity yeah. currency. But I mean, you can use like I mean, you can use paper. It's just. When you have any kind of physical, um, whether it's whether it's a fiat currency or a commodity-backed currency, because it is tangible in nature, you need a third party to be part of that, that that, you know, to be to to be the you know, when transactions occur and 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 make sure that everything is done appropriately. And throughout history, we've seen that actually the the, the most beneficial structure to do that is. Through state banking, not through privatized banking, which is completely antithetical to what we do now. But again, the thing to kind of make it rapid and you know wrap it and make it uh, you know a nice present is what Bitcoin does is it not only destroys the need for a central you know a, a third party because it is decentralized and and it and the issuance and the verification and the transacting is in a decentralized fashion. It's permissionless. But also because the unit of, of money itself is intangible, so you don't need that. That you know, it's not, it's it's actually not even a necessity anymore. Um, without without trying to not without trying to go on a rant, um, Bitcoin to me has created the first objective money we've mm. ever seen. The reason why people think of money as seashells or 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 or, or yap stones or, or or gold or silver or fiat paper is because we've always had a subjective view of money. But Bitcoin has met these these characteristics of what money needs to be. And it's done it not at like 95 percent or 96 percent, but at 100 percent. And because of that, we no longer have to use the term commodity currencies to reflect what we think of as money or fiat based currencies to reflect what we think of as money. Money is now objective. It is now this is it.
2: And that's what Bitcoin is. It has one use case. It's not a commodity. It is one use case. It's, It's money.
0: I love this. Um, You say this late in the article that you wrote. um, The signal we are looking for can be found at the depth of our oldest social structure, money, which has now been transformed through objective truth in mathematics and physics into the perfect signal. I'm going to read this whole paragraph. It's really cool. Bitcoin leverages that perfection to invert everything we know about finance and money. Satoshi Nakamoto used objective truth in mathematics and physics. I love this bit. To bridge a synthetic digital time and space to our physical time and space in a decentralized manner, blah, blah, blah. Can you speak to me about this bit of it? So we're talking about something that's A, deeply objective and I want to get to the issue of clarity and truth in a different way in a moment but right for the moment I want to talk about the objective truth in mathematics because I said this to my son the other day he was talking about something from school and he said but of course that's subjective and I said to him yeah but everything but maths is subjective so um and I was actually fiddling around in my mind I hadn't really thought about it to be honest but uh this objective truth in mathematics and physics to bridge a synthetic digital time and space to our physical time and space can we talk about that because we've just talked about our physical time being stolen through money printing and inflation and we've you've just given us a stunning example of where people were given back their time because there was a legitimate un um, what's the word uh, what did you say um, un uh, not confiscated. Um, and um,
1: counterfeit, it. You had, counterfeit you had you had two things that's the word
0: i'm looking for thank you thank you thank you and ultimately money printing as we know it is just legal counterfeiting so uh please speak to me about that
2: sure um one of the most in in
1: intriguing things about bitcoin uh, is i i didn't know how to analyze it as an asset um and I have to give an amazing shout out to uh, Gigi's work, which is Bitcoin is time. That was where I got that from. And I, I, I must have listened to that audio like at least fifteen times, you know, just to to really understand the depth of what what his work, what you know Gigi had really you know carved out and really shown what was going on there. and um, the the digital time and space that's been created by Um, Satoshi Nakamoto to solve when transactions occur in in an environment where there is no absolute time is incredible. Um, I think I I, I wrote it down just so I wouldn't mess it up um, because I knew I'd be asked something about this. Um, Let me see if I can find out. I got way too many notes here. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so he independently agreed on a series. His, his breakthrough here was, was, was creating a way for us to independently agree on a series of events without central coordination. And for us to do that, you, how do you all agree on time when time isn't, isn't an absolute thing? It's relative. Mm -hmm. And how do you correlate it to this synthetic time, which is block height and Mm -hmm. You know, what angle do you look at it from? Like in Bitcoin's world, there are no clocks, right? There's just there's just acceptable or unacceptable timestamps. There's a range. Right. So so it has to be less than the median of the previous 11 uh, um, blocks, less than the median of the previous 11 blocks, excuse me, greater, my apologies. See, it must be greater than the the meeting of the previous 11 blocks and less than um, uh, the network adjusted time plus two hours. So it gives you this band of time that's in our physical reality. And yet it has to meet those parameters to even enter the cyber world, which has no time whatsoever. But the time that is native to that world is block height meaning, but it's been created, right? There really is no, it's just information. I mean, it's all, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, It's all an abstraction. All software is just an abstraction. So, so, So Satoshi created an abstraction of perfect monetary policy rooted in objective mathematical and physical truth in A, asymmetric cryptography with mathematics and B, upfront Inescapable, unforgeable cost in proof of work to then bridge a physical time and a digital time that he made up in self time and space. And he used the difficulty adjustment to make sure that we couldn't force
2: forward the issue and schedule. So it, it almost binds all of our it, it, it binds all of our work in a manner where, where, I'm sorry, I'm losing my thought. It's just, it's too intense. I'm kind of like
1: uh, going into, into, into La La Land here, but um, yeah. It's just a very, go ahead, please.
0: I was going to say, because this ties in, it's a very nice segue into, I'm actually going to come back to the start of your article where we talk, where you talk about objective truth. Um, And I just want to go beyond, if you like, the technical side of this this time and space issue to what it now means from that quantum level, if you like, into physical reality. And I want to talk about, okay, so from this objective reality he's created at the, the cyber level, what does it mean potentially for us in the real world? And I'm interested in how you phrase this because, I mean, we could do, we could just talk at the level of um, society. But before we get into societal changes, you talk about, we're all very familiar now with words, the great reset and potentially the great awakening. You talk about it. As currently being in a state of great confusion and that what comes out of Bitcoin is great clarity because it's so pure, it's so objective. Uh, Let's go there because I think that's a natural from where you've just gone with physical time and space and that connection from what's happening, TikTok, next block, at this level, to what it means at this level. I think nobody would disagree that we're in a time of great confusion. Um, you could also talk about that in fourth turning terms as a, um, a fourth turning, like literally just a fourth turning or crisis period. So we're in a time of great confusion, potentially crisis. Uh, World Economic Forum is talking about the great reset which some of us see as a deeply dystopian concern but you are talking about the opportunity here for great clarity as a result of that first block the 3rd of January 2009 what are your can you exp- can you expand on that
2: yeah. The the narrative of this whole great awakening,
1: or there's people people are all of a sudden noticing some of these issues that they, they think they understand at a deep level, or you keep hearing, you know, person A B C D on the street say, Oh, I finally get it, or Oh, I, I think I understand what's going on now. And then you have this whole great reset or this this these buzzwords of um, what seems like uh, consolidation in my words, right? In, in my eyes, right? Um, uh, the great reset is just like, okay, the debt levels, right? You, uh, you had Greg Foss on here. I mean, he's a brilliant guy um, about moving the debt up the stack. You know, you're at sovereign debt levels here.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's kind of when I hear the word reset, I think of a reset button. But all I think of when I hear that is, is 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 either the bleeding away of national boundaries, where you just have a, a, a massive international body that is now in control of the same exact kind of money system that we have now, except it's in a more digital format, which leads to a whole host of issues because you are directly affecting retail uh, wallets, or, you know, people's, you know, without using the direct word wallet, like like we do in a, in a wallet software, but I mean, wallet, like a person right there, you can affect, decision making. I mean, money affects your decision making. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, we all know that these, this is a currency, not a money now that we've talked about that. but but um, the reason why I find the objective truths that are that are self-evident in in Bitcoin to be so profound is because it fixes, as you hear in in, in people who work in Bitcoin will say, you know, fix the money, fix the world because it is that deeply rooted of an issue where um, a lot of these potential threats will begin to have a lot less um, gunpowder behind them. They won't be able to do what they say they're gonna do, including something like a central bank digital currency, Um, as well as I think humanity will start to uh, maybe tone down some of the, and again, this may be something that people may not like out of me, but but tone down some of the whole, oh, I'm awake. I've been awakened. I think it's a little bit too, um, um, I think it gives people a little bit too much, to be quite honest, um, pride in themselves. That's partly why I have a lot of um, intense uh, gratefulness to whether Satoshi Nakamoto was a person or or a group of people, um, I don't know, nor do I care because the, the code is open source, but it is a gift. We don't have to win. We already have one. And I know that sounds like an odd, definitive statement like, oh, we still have to, you know, it, the incentive system will make us desire to use it. But the, 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 the structure and, and all of the things that the dance of all of these technologies that have been built around to, to uphold perfection in money and have it rooted. In the objective nature of math and physics, is unbelievably profound. It's like it's like taking something that's Adam back. He, he, I saw a little clip of him mentioning talking about, about Bitcoin, where he said that he tried to work with it, either make it more secure, or more scalable, or this or that, and he couldn't do anything with it without altering it and making it worse. It lived in this very narrow um, surface space, and to me, I felt like he was hitting on something where Bitcoin is truly a discovery. Like it, it, it's, a, it's discovering a mathematical artifact as he put it, where, where because it exists and because we have now found it, we can balance the entire world's weight on the head of a needle. You know, like it's, it is this intense objective truth that establishes itself in the world every 10 minutes, block by block. And because of that, back to your original question, I believe we can take a breath and calm down from some of the overwhelming fear and dread that some people may fear of, like, "Oh, you're going to eat the bugs." Like, come on, man, you're not going to eat the bugs. And also, don't don't be like, "Oh, I'm awakened." Like, don't you don't need to become the next Mahatma Gandhi. Um, just understand that money is a social structure that we are all now bound together via this chessboard right you talked to to knut in your other interviews you know i loved how how, how knut it's 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 just a set of rules i I don't care if you're jamie diamond i don't care if you're warren buffett i don't care if you're um one of the heads of the central bank when you put that on your balance sheet guess what you have one queen and one king you can't change the chessboard That's kind of why I don't really stress over large pools. As a matter of fact, everything has to get absorbed by Bitcoin, right? It's not not some things divided by 21 million. It's not like this and this, but not this divided by 21 million. It's everything, which means even the people you dislike will be involved in this system. They'll have to, Mm -hmm. but they'll play by the rules because Bitcoin does that to you. It forces your greed through an asymmetric cryptographic function,
2: and out of it comes altruism. Honest behavior. Fiduciary responsibility. Safe, simple, secure. That's all Bitcoin is.
0: Are there there's still going to be credit? There's still going to be loans? There, no?
2: I don't think so.
1: Again, that's another contested question, but I don't know. It could be a bad take on my part. Some people say, yeah, uh, we'll have credit, but... I don't think I I don't I, I don't know. I think credit is I I don't know. I don't I don't wanna I don't want to ramble too much, so yeah. I won't touch on that too much, but is that fair enough? It's a tough question. Um, maybe maybe we'll touch on that another time. We'll have a recap or something, but it's a tough one. I don't I don't know if we'll have credit. Um but I just don't know. I'll have to do deeper thought on that one for sure.
0: Okay. Tell me about how you ended up here. This is an incredible depth of knowledge and understanding. I'm curious as to, you know, you've been studying this for a while to get to this point. What's your little, run me through your orange pill story.
2: My orange pill story. Uh, I actually picked up my my first Bitcoin book in 2014,
1: 2015, picked it up and had all the other stuff in it too, right? So you're all like, oh, all this you know and um put it down didn't think too much of it i i knew because my background was in accounting and i understood finance and i mean I wasn't a, i didn't go i have a background in accounting a very strong understanding of finance and economics and obviously financial history as you can tell um monetary history more more so than financial history but um i have you know two, two uh two parents that are you know I'm glad to say, very well educated and very, um, uh, you know, they poke the questions. You know, they'll call it, you know, call me on my bullshit and say, you know, you better back that up. You know, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? You know, I was screaming uh, the same stuff that people are screaming about now when I was 20 years old. That was 12 years ago. So, and of course, people have gone their own journey. You know, I mean, there have been people who've worked within, you know, the financial industry for a long time, and they may find issues with it, and they'll continue to to do that as I continue to work in it now because there is benefits to Being a banker um that are you know honest and 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 really honest you know
2: being a fiduciary is very important and that comes with banking um but uh i just
1: um i just put it down i just put it down i didn't i didn't understand the uh the computer science i didn't understand the technology behind it and especially the cryptography if i knew the math better i probably would have had a a deeper grasp um but i picked it back up in 2018 this was on the in the the back end of the bear market in 2018 now i was really engaged um because i saw this rise in price through 17 and i saw this this blowout and this bottoming and i was i was just again just going along my day you know uh um just trying to understand um money because it's at the root of our society and um i just I just kind of started to grasp it in 18 and, and it's it's been better since then, but um, I still wasn't putting on a, a financial position. Uh, I, I put one on, you know, in, 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 in 2020, but uh, uh, that was, uh, it was my 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 positioning was a little bit more uh, overt and reckless because I kind of like, I had all this back knowledge, right? It was like unplugging a sink, it was just flush. Cause like, you just knew like, uh, I, I didn't mess around with altcoins. I didn't mess around with any of that stuff. It was just an immediate, like the flame just went from a little flick to like explosion around 2020. And then I saw the risk off of like, okay, now you've got corporates coming in, right? You saw Michael Saylor put on a position. You saw all these other, you know, institutional involvement at a minor level at that time. So I was like, okay, this can't be banned, you know, question mark. And I was still walking through some of the more in-depth nature of like, is this really what I think it is? Um, and that's kind of, you know, how it all how it all started. Um, I will give a shout out to um, Bob Burnett. He is the CEO of Barefoot Mining. Uh, he is a, a gentleman who uh, I met through the insurance world, uh, particularly um, whole life insurance contracts. And we would talk about um, uh, Bitcoin and, and, and uh, data centers and, and technology. And we would have these conversations back and forth, which now I do with, with Lisa at nauseum. But um, uh, I kind of came to this conclusion in the beginning of 2020, like this thing is either going to get cornered, meaning like gold, right? We've talked about how you can corner a, a hard asset like that, a physical, in our physical world, hard asset. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that does to price action. And I said, at worst, this thing either goes to infinity. I mean, like at its at its downside, it gets cornered and goes to infinity, or it survives and it is its own thing. You know, there is no real price. You know, Bitcoin's an exchange rate. It's not a price. It doesn't have a money. Doesn't have a price. It's an exchange Mm rate. Commodities have prices. Money has an exchange rate. So I was like, okay, this is this is something nuts. And you just you just fall down this hole, Carrie. You just find yourself, you know, people say they buy Bitcoin at certain prices. You know, Bitcoin buys you, it buys your attention, it buys your curiosity, it buys your 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 fears, it buys your passion, it buys everything about you. And you can't you can't escape it. It's like you discover you <laughs> finally you're feeling fire and you're like, This is nuts. Like this is nuts. So that was my that was my weird rabbit hole journey, but, i mean i'm still hard. digging i'm still digging i think we're all still mm-hmm. digging
0: yeah ain't that the truth of it uh how's it tied in with your personal values um your your faith your beliefs your understanding we're talking about truth here we're talking about um you know, I always find it interesting that we talk about money as being the kind of the base layer of society, and I've, I've struggled with that. I've thought, oh no, family and love and reproduction, frankly, <laughs> the um, the base layer of society. Uh, but indeed, everything has a value. Everything right. has value. Um, and everything is valued. And to that degree, um, money meets you know, money is a base layer. Okay, so um, so you're talking about Bitcoin as truth in money. Parallel that with me you, with your truth in life.
2: Um, I kind of want to. I just want to touch on something you said where you you said you know it wasn't
1: money that was grasping you. What you thought the the crux of life in terms of reproduction and 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 food and shelter and all those things. Um, food and shelter—you know—all those things you need to survive—but they become exponentially easier with soundness of of whatever your your money is. Um, your at, at, at your core, your money all it is all it is supposed to do is solve the double coincidence of wants. It's supposed to be a an intermediary between me and you as a buyer and seller of different goods. Where say I don't want what you're selling, or you don't want what I'm selling, but you're willing to take this. Median, which happens to be money it mm-hmm. makes trade a lot easier yeah. but it also has to be fixed it also has to have certain characteristics portability acceptability durability divisibility scarcity to a degree right and um fungibility and we talk bitcoin meets all those in in dramatic and and amazing fashion where you have pure money but to to the my idea of truth in life or or um how maybe how bitcoin helps that how it how it helps with some of these these other underlying things like societal things and 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 faith to a certain degree um, I will touch let me touch on faith first um i mean i I am uh, a r- religious person, but again, you know there are people who are not in this space you know it's bitcoin is just it doesn't care about your faith as much as it doesn't care about politics it's apolitical, it's neutral it's neutral in every single way, but there are weird Interconnections that I always ask myself, like, you know, Bitcoin's permissionless, like, it doesn't ask you what you've done wrong, but it's always accepting you, right? Like, sounds kind of religious to me, but, uh, um, it, it, um, sound weights and measures, right? That's a biblical kind of thing, right? Like it's sound, it is thermodynamically sound. Um, but, um, to the societal component, um, one of the ways to, to really like definitively see the terminal corruption and decay of society is when the things that are supposed to breed become sterilized and the things that are supposed to be sterile begin to breed. So to your social point, without getting into other s- deeper social issues, let's just talk about what would happen to me in terms of what you would call, what should be breeding is sterilized, right? if I'm trying to keep up in a rat race where all of a sudden I want to push off marriage or push off having children, look at the birth rate decline. Like I should, and again, I don't have, you know, I don't even have a I don't have a, any, any kids yet. So let me get that off the table yet. Cause you didn't know that, but I mean, with sound money, I would be working less and less and less. My purchasing power would be reserved and I'd be able to have more time. I would probably have three, four, you know, I would have a boatload of kids, right? I would want to continue, it would be an easier endeavor, right? There's a financial strain. You know, if you're, if you're a, a an intelligent, again, and I'm using this lightly because I'm not saying that, that people sometimes gauge their careers over a family. And I think a family may come first if they had sound money. Um, and also the opposite of that equation, um, what should be sterile becomes debris—is breed is, is, to be quite honest, it's it's the money multiplier, it's fractional reserve banking. Money should be sterile. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's a unit, it's a measuring stick. That's why 21
2: million. It's just a thermodynamic box. What an interesting
0: take on this. Okay. So let's just broaden out. We're really saying the big, the big shift at the societal level is time it's people getting their time back yeah it's it's time Mm -hmm. getting off the hamster wheel and coming full circle to where we started that serfdom you know of putting in increasing time exponentially increased time to um fight for scrabble for an exponentially weakening dollar or currency uh so okay what's your projection? You're saying this happened 3rd of January, 2009, cannot put the toothpaste back in the the tube, it's done. That changed forever, it's out there. What are your thoughts about how this A could unfold and B where we could end up? We're saying we end up in a spot with greater time per human being off the hamster wheel of serfdom. What do you imagine the process being? We all have different ideas of this, and some imagine quite a violent process as people scrabble for their power. What are your thoughts?
2: Um, That's a fair word. Um, Violent is a fair
1: word. I don't expect um, entrenched systems over hundreds of years to just evaporate, Um, at least in terms of people's psychology. Because... Almost technically, it kind, of, it kind of did. We're just not ready for it yet. Like Bitcoin's already ready for us, if that makes sense.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: we're the ones who are stalling, not Bitcoin. You know, there's already 19.1 what, million Bitcoin already in existence. There's mm-hmm. only you know, whatever the, the, the difference is to be, to be mined. And, mm-hmm. if, and don't get me wrong. The, the natural um, organic supply issuance you know, to 2140, um, combined with the difficulty adjustment, to a, which is a time-based adjustment, So it doesn't allow us to, um, you know, we could have as much energy as we want and force it at at the Bitcoin network, meaning hash rate, and which is a a proxy for the energy force at the the network. um,
2: And you're not going to get more Bitcoin. Bitcoin is really a function of time. So. um,
1: I can see because of its organic supply issuance, and it's going to take a long time for it to go through because we've already got a lot of the supply out of the way. It's already like, if you know what, if people in this space, they get it. They're like, let me get some, you know, whatever that really means, right? Bitcoin just gets you, you know, you don't really own Bitcoin, you know? Um, and I'm just going to sit back and wait, you know, but there is going to be a, um, to get to your to your original question, an unsettling period, but the one thing I, I I don't have a definitive time frame for you in terms of um, economic history, but I do know that the things that made me really happy were like seeing the the benefits of what happened to the everyday person during like the tally stick system in ancient England. I mean, these people got a tremendous amount of their time back. They 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 built up all of this culture around. Their society and people flourished, and I'm I'm I don't know the the crime stats of that time, but I'm sure they they dropped off to a, a particular degree. If we want to, if we want the best snapshot on a small scale, I would honestly probably look to El Salvador. I would look to see what's happening with Nayib Bukele in El Salvador. I mean that's a snapshot. I mean they are what the the savior is that the nickname for El Salvador anyway. I mean that's kind of odd, right? We talked about faith before. I mean it's. Um,
0: what was the nickname? Sorry, I haven't heard that.
1: Uh, the, the savior, um, the savior. Um, ah, I didn't I think know that's what it means. Yeah. So, like salvation is what or
0: something. That Salvador means right. Okay.
1: Um, and I haven't been there yet, but it's amazing. And you know, I lived in in South Florida for 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 years, and uh, there's a tremendous Hispanic population, and I would run into um, some El, Salvador, El Salvadorians, and and I would I would get giddy like a child, like like your president is doing things that people simply don't grasp and it's, you know, most people aren't going to get, all right, James, whatever, you know, go move there. They don't, they don't, they don't grasp the significance of it. But the flame of what this is, is started in El Salvador and it's the game theory is going to demand that it plays out. So um, as you mentioned, I'm in Texas. So um, Texas is doing some things that are very beneficial to the adoption of Bitcoin. Um, We'll have to see. It's, I don't see the I don't see the 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 nations that have lived under relative financial security, the Western nations, adopting this in any you know nonchalant, okay, cool, let's just go for it kind of way. Mm. I see them being forced to adopt it. I see I see the game theory taking care of it. If that's the be- best way for me to sum it up, um, mm. the game theory will take care of the adoption. Uh, yeah. I think we'll have to take care of each other. You know. It'll be interesting to see how people with unique skill sets or people with valuable skill sets will start to demand their payment in satoshis. Mm-hmm. People will start to save more in Bitcoin. Um, you know, it's it, Bitcoin. Maybe to wrap this ramble up, um, Bitcoin is already money. So, mm-hmm. from January third, two thousand nine, you immediately had store value medium of exchange, unit of account. You already have, that, that's inherently within money itself. The things that are blocking you from what you perceive to be, it only is a store of value where it is only a medium of exchange in other places is the is the jurisdiction. It's not the money, it's the jurisdiction.
0: Yeah, that's right. And there's a bunch of things coming together in my mind as you're saying that. And yeah, the jurisdiction is where the Balaji, um, don't know his surname, um, Nation state concepts come into play. Um, I pulled up a quote the other day. Um, it was, I, I'm writing an article about libertarianism and Bitcoin um, as a blog post for somebody. And I was going back through the history of libertarianism and found a quote that I'm not going to be able to quote you, but I'm going to paraphrase. It was Lao Tzu. And it was about. Fundamentally, take the government out of the equation, and people will self-organise. And what you're one of the the clips doing the rounds at the moment from El Salvador around the clean up of crime there is all the gangs in prison. Have you seen that clip doing the rounds at the moment? All the gang the yeah. the gangs being uh, managed in prison for better or for worse. Um, so. That idea that once you've got sound money, um, and I'm not saying that El Salvador has minimised the size and control of state because that clearly hasn't played out yet, but it has created some sort of self-organisation that's led to this reduction of crime that perhaps when you're talking about the tally stick and the potential reduction of crime in that era, um, and those quotes that you're getting from people from local El Salvadorians about we can go outside we can play outside we can go to the shops we don't, you know we're we're not being uh, we're not being asked for protection money we can run our businesses just being able to get on with life and i heard this really interesting thought on something not so long ago about Uh, It was someone who had spent a lot of time in China, and the fact that we imagine that they have far less freedom in China than they actually do, just as we imagine, we seem to have a lot more freedom in the West than we actually do. We have the freedom that an animal has in a cage, in a zoo. We have the freedom to explore that cage, and that's about as much as we're given and so i guess what i'm imagining as i I imagine all of this is i'm i'm imagining a space and i don't think it's a utopia human beings are human beings but as jeff booth would say human beings are influenced by our environment and if you're in a safe environment why would you want to commit crime if you've got the time to have your family if you're not being stolen from by the government on a daily basis if you're not on this hamster wheel why would you need to do drugs why would you need to do crime it creates a whole different you know it, it, and this is some of the uh Gabor um, about addiction and the fact that when you put the rats in an environment where they can play versus rats in an environment where all there is is cheese and competition, uh, you get a very different kind of rat, one that's, that goes for the heroin, the water with the heroin in it versus the one that's just got no interest in that. I'll just go with the plain water, thank you very much. It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't get me high. I'm high enough. I'm whole enough. Uh, and so, my sense of what this does to us at a DNA level, at a cellular level, in terms of our human action, our behavior, is just it's everything you've just said about Bitcoin owns you, Bitcoin changes you. It, it, it's unfathomable. It, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine.
2: Well, it, it changed you.
1: did I mean, you said at one point you were a fan of Janet Yellen and Elizabeth Warren and a recovering liberal, right? <laughs>
0: You've come back so through my tweets. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm right. Always to
1: do, I'm always taught to do my homework, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, I, that, that, that sense of, of what, you're, what you were looking for in, quote unquote, you know, left-leaning po- politics was this sense of fairness. I yeah. think, and this sense of I think what I got out of the question you posed to Lisa, which I'm again paraphrasing it, but it was really about um, how does it, you know, how does it alter the way we we interact with money and, and uh, uh, meaning, meaning the investment landscape, maybe for the lack of a better word, the definancialization, meaning you can go and be the best plumber you can be or the best, you know, sewer cleaner, right? I think that was today, right? Yeah?
0: <laughs> you're on it.
1: <laughs> so, so whatever it is, whatever it is, whatever that job or task is that you're performing at whatever you want to do, you don't have to go home and be a 24 seven financier to, to manage your money because you're, you're constantly losing to inflation, time theft, thievery. And now you can save, in a system that it's as easy as just putting it away. And that is so freeing to people that you don't have to be a financier. And don't get me wrong, like I'm in the financial profession, like I am a banker. Like there's still going to be banking in there. We're doing things now that are there to bring on people as a fiduciary into this asset because it's like I tell Lisa all the time, we're like Lewis and Clark in a certain sense, right? Like we're 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 exploring a, a vast, barren, a vast you know, wilderness. And holding the hands of different corporate structures or high net worth family offices or other enterprise clients, and helping them secure these assets um, not not for I mean there's a you know there's a fee it's a it's a pro, it's a business but but we're doing it for them, right? We come at it with good intention, and you need people who have financial precision to do that so there's always a role for, I don't want to, I don't want to destroy the idea of of banking, right? You don't get mad at a food bank. You don't get mad at a sperm bank. It's kind of what banking is now going to become, you know, financial responsibility and fiduciary trust and responsibility, even though we don't trust, we verify in Bitcoin, but we still, um, we have a level of fiduciary responsibility and, 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 just a different way we interact with money because of Bitcoin as financial professionals that I think is now going to be brought more so to the to the table. But again, to your to your question or that or that what I thought really was kind of the narrowing down of, of why you felt that way is you won't have to be this this um, this amazing stock picker just to save yourself anymore.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: I mean, you don't have to put your money in a 401k anymore. Don't get me wrong. Some people may find tax advantages to do that in the, as we continue to live in the current system while it's still here. But you just save more than you spend, put it into Bitcoin, and have a long enough time frame to deal with what is perceived as volatility, which it really isn't. I hmm. mean, there is no volatility in a the thermodynamic system. There's just volatility in everything else. Everything else around you is volatile. Bitcoin right. is flat. That's what people say Bitcoin is a binary outcome, right? Is it zero? And Bitcoin's either going to zero or infinity. How does something that is completely sound and stable go to zero infinity? Either we die out as a species or we go to like Kardashev levels. The infinity is the Kardashev scale. The zero is all of us die out. Pick, pick your poison. I mean, Bitcoin is the end of the road. Bitcoin is your final wake-up call.
0: And you mentioned about game theory and we see on twitter all the time you know we're still so early and uh i heard breedlove saying recently that a lot of this is going to come through some of the richest people on earth just putting one percent allocating one percent of their portfolio uh to bitcoin you get that happening you get institutional adoption i've heard through you and lisa uh, I, I, i don't think because i'm on the periphery and uh, I'm not in the industry, getting a sense from you guys of the size of the space and the, the businesses that are building up around this area and um, feeding into this area. And, and then, of course, educating other businesses, so educating people on mass is one thing, educating business is a whole different level of it. And then of course, there's the education of, right, of education right. and governments, uh, but the sense of this ball is rolling, uh, is really there and with each bull run that even though, you know, one book, Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin, and I get what you're saying about it. It's the I understand, I have it. to do it too. You have to, you uh, have to. But the bull run is what brings people in and the, go up the sense of the what greed, that power yeah. is going to be next time around the the adoption that's going to come in a we're obviously seeing it through developing countries it feels like it's hitting a critical mass it feels like it could hit a tipping point really soon and i may be kidding myself around that
1: no it's 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 it's, it's a fair it's a fair thought to have i think um whenever i try and measure where we are in terms of global adoption. I mean, you could, you could look at um, active nodes and, and then look at the total population and maybe give you some kind of grasp there. But is that, is that really the best thing? I don't know. And nor am I gonna try and find a way to describe that. I just, maybe the best way to put my thoughts when I try to think of either where we are in adoption or especially any kind of fiat derived price or any kind of quantitative value on Bitcoin, um, I go back to, again, another guy you had on here, which is Jeff Booth. I remember sitting there watching his presentation on on technology and and um, exponentials and folding a piece of paper and how it would get to, you know, the moon or some, you know, astronomically large, you know, you know, point away from where we started um, after a certain amount of folds. And it was just my mind couldn't process it. So Mm -hmm. I always think, think back and tell myself, like, this could happen in such a strange manner where. And again, this is a little bit off in left field, but but we'll go there. Is um, which may tie, again, tie canoe back into the conversation as well. Um, we don't really know how we'll interact with Bitcoin as we begin to all experience it together and all adopt it. I mean, the deflation of the cost of goods and services would get to such a degree that we may just maneuver Bitcoin around as like a, 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 like a a metric, you know, like it's, I guess what I mean by that is this, the sense of spending almost deteriorates. Like it becomes this without using the word utopia or communal, but this, this sense of this sense of decentralized global coordination that leads to a sense of centralization or a sense of coming together without being together Mm -hmm. and all being In this level of monetary flow state together i don't i i honestly can't describe it you know it's just it's going to take a long time but that's kind of what i think about when i try and put some kind of um quantitative value on it but depends on my audience right like if i'm talking to a a a client it's a little bit different you know they want some other kind of view on it but
0: it's yeah yeah but i hear you it's almost like the school of fish thing or when women start menstruating at the same time, when they're around each other. (laughs) That works. I'm hearing, I'm going to go to your Jeff Booth quote, uh, because it feels like it might be timely to wrap up. We're heading towards that one hour mark, Um, but this is what I think we're kind of really, potentially it's a lovely summary quote to, to be Expanding on and taking us out with when you have scarcity in money, you have abundance in everything else. How beautiful is that? What a beautiful concept is that! Again, it's focusing on the scarcity rather than the non-counterfeitability.
1: <laughs> well, don't yeah. Don't, don't worry. There's there's there, scarcity matters, but it only matters when you can't counterfeit. So, like, you have to have one before the other. Um, right. It's just beautiful. Yes. It's just beautiful that we that we. We don't have the ability to counterfeit Bitcoin, or you can try. You know, you can, you can, yeah,
0: you can good pull luck a Bitcoin with Bitcoin
1: Cash, <laughs> and, and that's not going to work. You know, you can try and use Bitcoin Core and stay on the main chain, and, and then and then violate the rule set, which again won't do you any good. Uh, you can try and put another queen on the chessboard; not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's what I mean by counterfeiting. But the scarcity matters, obviously, because now you have this. And again, I've used it before, but it seems almost like a ruler in a sense where it's it's a monetary ruler, uh, more so than it is this like anything else. But um, uh, yes, it uh, scarcity and money will bring a level of abundance uh, that is something that I don't think any of us are truly ready for, including myself. Uh, it, yeah, it, it should, Uh, we should basically, I don't know if we'll even use GDP metrics anymore. We won't use gross domestic product. We'll use something like aggregate productivity growth. They're like, like all of the deflation now gets factored in. Like uh, how much does technology take over our life? Because we're constantly feed Bitcoin. Bitcoin promotes efficiency at all costs and decentralization. So decentralization, first and foremost, it's just going to survive but it also promotes efficiency and quality, right? Because you're not going to get rid of, of this beautiful unit um, without really desiring it. And, and again, we can't live in a Bitcoin. You can't, you can't eat a Bitcoin. So it's not meant to be hoarded either. Right? So believe me, I understand the idea of store value. I understand people will just put it away. There's a hodler of last resort for a reason. They, they're, they're, ne- they're ne- necessary in this adoption cycle, but,
2: uh you're not
0: going to spend readily unless it's on a quality product that's the issue exactly Uh, so it changes the dynamic in terms of this it it changes everything the The
1: entire level of consumerism goes away i mean this this rat race buy 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 throw away just just is gone yeah but it does bring a level of quality that i think has been muted and maybe back to that example again the york minster the york minster during the tally stick system in, in, in ancient England, I mean, beautiful cathedrals, amazing buildings, phenomenal architecture, leisure time where people can can raise families, can build families, can can have you know, proper nutritious produce with the waste heat from Bitcoin miners in vertical farming. I don't know. That's <laughs> line. But, but you know, like, there's so many there's so many things here that. Um, either way, without rambling any further, yes. Jeff Booth is right. Scarcity and money brings um, abundance in everything else. And it should unleash the abundance of everything we desire in terms of food, shelter, but also the abundance for us to care for one another in a way that
0: I don't
2: think we've seen before.
0: Mm. Wow. Well, bring that on. Uh, James, this has been magnificent i've got to tell you the sun's shining behind you and sometimes when you move your head it shines through and makes you look like an angel with with words of hope and wisdom Um, this has been a pleasure you need to be out there doing just a truckload of podcasts and speaking you have a phenomenal not just wealth of knowledge but way of expressing it and clarifying it and and yeah putting all the pieces together this has been magnificent i really appreciate your time hey are you going to um bitcoin miami
1: i hope so i hope to be there this year um we'll see how my. i mean i'm obviously very very busy right now and i'll be continue to be busy but um i would i would believe i'll be there um my next um event is empowered uh in, in houston so that uh it's it's going to be fun. Yeah, I, I, if I could get to every Bitcoin conference, I would. I, it's,
0: yes, 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 and
2: yes. If you are there, well, I would love to see it.
0: I am hoping we get to meet in person. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. It's been an absolute delight and an eye-opener. Um, keep doing what you're doing. Get out there, my friend, and uh, keep spreading the word. This is fantastic uh and be well until we meet in person or cross paths again
1: i'm sure we will i appreciate you having me so much it's been a real joy for me as well thank you so much Carrie. All, right. all the
2: best take care